0: I don't think this is very funny. Bobby.
1: Who is this?
0: As you watch the screen, your heart begins to beat faster. There's a fluttering in the pit of your stomach. Your throat is dry, your palms damp, suddenly a chill runs down your spine, you clutch the person next to you, you tell yourself, it's only a movie, it's only a movie, but sooner or later, it's time to go home. Too bad.
1: Welcome to Film Strip. I'm Jay.
0: And I'm Brian. And this is our
1: review of A Nightmare on Elm Street. Starring John Saxon, Ronnie Blakely, Heather Langenkamp, Amanda Wiss, Nick Corey, Johnny Depp, and Robin E, Written and directed by Wes Craven, released in 1984 on a budget of $1.8 million, grossed over $25 million at its box office, and is considered a seminal horror classic, particularly of the slasherdom 80s. And, uh, of course, we're doing this as part of our dueling retrospectives for our almost endless Shocktober this fall, it feels like, Brian. We've, we've got Friday the 13th going on on one day of the week, and then we're doing A Nightmare on Elm Street on the other, all culminating in our cage match at Freddy versus Jason at the end. But, mm-hmm. you know, Ron wanted to do the Friday the 13th films because they hold a, a special place for him, and he's he's got strong memories of them. You were the one that really wanted to do A Nightmare on Elm Street, and if I don't misremember this correctly, this is your favorite of the Slasher series, right?
0: Well, yeah. I'm, And uh, to be honest, I, I'm not really versed in the slasher series per se. You know, I've never seen Friday the 13th. I never saw Halloween until we did it. So, I mean, this is just one of those films that for some reason the series was good. I watched it. I bought the thing. And yeah. So, so, so when did you first see this? Oh, a long time ago, probably when I was in middle school. I saw only the first Nightmare on Elm Street. I never saw any of the other ones until probably college. And the wife and I, dating at the time, bought the 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 big set that came out and watched them.
1: And so, yeah, so your wife is a fan of these as well. Because so, I remember she liked oh, some yeah. of the Halloweens too, right? So Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, for me on this one, I told a little bit of this story last time with, with the... When we did Halloween, that I saw Nightmare on Elm Street the same weekend that I saw Halloween for the first time. So, if people go back and listen to our first Halloween show, you hear the whole, the whole version of that. I won't repeat it here, but. I sort of stuck to Halloween, and I remember Nightmare thinking, yeah, that was really freaky and creepy, and I saw the second one. I think w- my dad actually liked the Nightmare series, and so we we rented the second one when it came out, and then I didn't see any of the other ones until, like, you in college. I, I finally caught back up to him and said, "I, you know, I've heard people talk about these. They were all done at that point, and so I I said, yeah, let, you know, let me go back and watch these, and, in fact, I think I saw New Nightmare before I even saw, like,
0: 3 through 6, and so, you yeah, know, I, I had no... Because it had come out late, you know, and it was kind of a big deal when it came out. And so I think a lot of people probably had seen the first Nightmare on Elm Street, maybe the second Nightmare on Elm Street, and had given up after that. And then the new... you know, Freddy Krueger movie comes out, and everyone's like, ooh, you know, this looks good. Mm-hmm. Freddy's Revenge was kind of a big deal, too, I think, but yeah.
1: Well, yeah, th- that one, I I mean, more people talk about Part 3, Dream Warriors, than than probably any of the parts here. And we, We'll we get mm-hmm. to that one in a few weeks, too, because I definitely have thoughts about it. But I do remember seeing this, though, at, again, one of those pivotal early ages, and it made an impression. It wasn't one that stuck. I told with, with Ron when we started the Friday the 13th series that on the playground, I felt like, you know, you had to pick your slasher, you know, uh loyalty or whatever, and I just kind of picked, like, Michael Myers was my guy. I was going to be a Halloween guy. And, like, Jason to me was sort of the cheap knockoff Michael Myers, so I could tolerate him. Freddy, though, was a game changer because Freddy did something that none of these other ones did. Freddy talked. And mm-hmm, even though he yeah. doesn't talk a ton in this first film, uh, he does talk, and he has a personality, and he's, you know, he, he's got a different M.O. than the rest of them. Um, you know, we could, we could get into that as we go through it. But the other thing is that from the get-go, Freddie is dead. He he is not a living, breathing human being the way Jason Voorhees is, Michael Myers, Leatherface. You know, it, uh, like uh, in Hellraiser, the the Hell Priest, Pinhead, or whatever. Freddie is in another dimension of existence from the beginning, and I do think that's something that sets him apart in the slasher craze.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I think it's it's kind of a neat twist, and, and they don't really tell you that until a little later in the film. Yeah, so the, it's kind of like one of those whoa, you know. You know something's up because the parents, when they when they hear certain pieces and details, they f- kind of look freaked out, right? Um, so you know something's up, and then when when you know mom finally reveals the big secret, it's kind of like, whoa, okay, this is interesting.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's uh, a different story. It's kind of the you know vigilanteism gone wrong idea, and in some ways, it's it it makes you. Kind of get on the killer' side though they they play that yeah. differently as the series goes, but I do think that that's something that changes this one is that he's He's, you know, he's dead from the start. He has a different backstory than, than most of the rest of them. And for a large part in this first film, we don't know who he is. I mean, if you had never seen A Nightmare on Elm Street before, didn't have any idea what Freddy Krueger was other than the guy with the sweater and knives on his hands. you know, If you knew that from pop culture, but you didn't know any of the plot and you tried to watch this, for three-fourths of the film, you have no idea who he is. You don't know what he's doing until a, a big scene you know, late mm-hmm. in the film. Uh, yeah. that, we, that we'll definitely have to talk about But yeah, I, I do think that's part of what sets this one apart too Is that it is a mystery as to why he's doing it It's pretty clear from the get-go in the Friday the 13th movies What's happening Maybe not that first one Because there's a little bit of a, uh, you know, a, a it to that one But the rest of them are pretty clear You know Michael Myers is the killer in Halloween Because they, that's the first thing they show you Is him killing someone And so y- you know everything you need to know Freddy, on the other hand, is an enigma For a large part of his origin film
0: He is. And I, you know, it's a cool little story because you got this guy who they established very early on that he's attacking people in their dreams and and, and somehow it's coming through to reality. Right. Um, At first, you're just thinking it's nightmares, nightmares, nightmares. Then all of a sudden, whoa, you know, things are coming out of the dreams and and whatnot. So I think it's kind of a neat little thing that they did there.
1: Oh, definitely. It's very layered, and it's an interesting story. It makes for a lot of fun discussion, I'm sure. But I think before we get any further, Brian, we do need to do a plot summary for The Uninitiated, and and just to get ourselves on the right page, will you tell folks
0: what A Nightmare on Elm Street is all about? Absolutely. Several teenagers cross paths with a hideous burned man called Freddy Krueger, who continually stalks them in their dreams, even killing some, which results in their death in the real world. Nancy Thompson learns the horrible truth about Freddy Krueger. He was a child killer let off on a technicality that her and the other victim's parents all banded together to kill in an act of vigilante justice. After Nancy's boyfriend and mother are killed by Krueger, she confronts Freddy and brings him back into her real world, where she turns her back on him, vexed of her fears, which eliminates his powers. She wakes up the next morning to see everything restored, her mother... And friends are alive and realizes that it was all just a nightmare until the car she hops into drives away, apparently possessed by Freddy Krueger, who takes her mom once again. So there you go, Jay. That's kind of a weird little plot summary, but that is (laughs) the bulk of the movie. I
1: think it's a good plot summary, though, Brian, because I think it's the straight-through, if you know nothing else about the series, here's what is laid out in front of you. It's the short version of what happens. Now, how we get there and and a couple of conceits that we definitely are going to want to talk about as we get into this, we'll get to. Particularly, whether or not any of this ever really happens or if it's a nightmare the whole time and all that, we'll we'll talk about. But I want to talk about the opening of this film because I think the opening of these horror films is always so important. Uh, Particularly, I want to contrast it with what you and I have seen together. We saw the Halloween opening together last year, right? And it was, you know, a Halloween night. Well, first we get the pumpkin opening, right? And it's just that weird music and stuff. In this one, you get weird music. And before you get to anything, you see this guy building a, a glove with knived fingers and, I, and some you know strange imagery and all that. And I wanted to just talk to you
0: first about what do you make of the weapon here, the weapon of choice, the knived glove. Well, it's, I think it's interesting, and and I, you know, I I kind of was hoping that they'd expound on why he chose the weapon that he did, but I don't think they really do. And I'm not, I can't remember. It's been a while since I've seen all of the Freddy Kruegers. I'm not sure if they actually ever do, but it's a it's a cool weapon of choice. I mean, who would have thought that you would take knives, you know, weld them together with some, you know, finger clamps, and put them on the end of a torn up glove? Like he cuts off the fingers. Of the glove so that I could grip his fingers when he's doing the the killing. Yeah, uh, it's definitely a effective weapon. You could do so many different things with it: gut people, you know, slash them, all sorts of stuff. So very interesting. I'd never seen anything like that before.
1: I can tell you the thing that I've always thought about this, and years later had it confirmed that that was the backstory. I always felt like if you're if that's your weapon of choice, then These kills are something where it's so personal for you to have a touch with the people that you kill that... I thought immediately, like, this guy was probably like a child molester. And indeed, they call him a child murderer in the film, but in the original script, he was a child molester who also killed the children. And when they were finally putting this together and budgeting it, they just realized that, you know, there was no way that this was going to get released in 1984 if, if they, you know, went that route. You know, even, even after Craven had done that deplorable last house on the left thing 12 years earlier, he, he learned there's no way they're ever going to let that out. So they, they bury that part of this story it's brought up in later sequels i do seem to remember that because they they leeson up on a little bit but in this first one he's just relegated to child killer but i've always associated with the fact that he was a a child molester and that the killing is part of that that evil touch thing or whatever and it, it makes the character that much more deplorable and creepy i mean you know as if you had to need a reason to hate this guy and you know not root for the killer anymore there's another one and maybe that was another reason they cut it but i've always associated the glove with
0: that tendency about the character yeah interesting i never really thought of it that way i think it's a i think it's a good thought and a good good thought. and i didn't actually know that he ended up being a child molester um so that's a cool tidbit that i missed
1: it's again. It's one of those things that I only know because I've read enough of the behind-the-scenes stuff and have heard Craven and, and company talk about it. When I first saw it, I didn't know that. I just thought that it, he must have gotten something from that that ability to, you know, be up close and personal. I also think too, it's it's only the kind of weapon that someone who is Pretty much indestructible, whatever you want to do. Because think about how impractical that is. I mean, you could hurt yourself as much as you can hurt anyone else. And think about how close you have to get to people mm-hmm. yeah, I to was kill just them. Say, you
0: have to be real close. You yeah. To, you have to be able to basically reach out and grab them. And there's no yeah. other way to do it. You can't really throw your gloved knives because they'll just flop. You know,
1: think about it, contrast it with like Michael Myers and, and Jason in particular since we're talking about Jason right now on, on the other series. You know, they hide in the shadows and stab you with stuff with knives and things like that, but they can still sort of keep their distance. Freddy gets right up on you and moreover, he wants to because that's the whole opening here is it's a nightmare. And we open up on a nightmare. And I think that's an important thing to note is that these films generally start on a nightmare and we open up on a nightmare for our character, Tina here. And if you didn't know better, again, watching the first 20 minutes of this movie, if you didn't know anything about it, you'd think Tina was the main character because we Mm -hmm. open up on her instead of Nancy or any of the others.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, the cast characters is very interesting and and you know it's been a long time since i watched it so it was kind of cool to go back and refresh my memory on some of these people and and what went on but yeah it's a it's a good way to start and it does throw you for a little bit of a loop because we aren't introduced to our main characters right away we're introduced to a side character who's still important in in the story because she ends up being the first one getting killed mm-hmm. um but uh, it was kind of weird that we didn't start with Nancy since the crux of the whole episode is, is her battle here.
1: Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, it, if you're to read this film the way that Craven intends for you to, this whole thing is Nancy's nightmare. It's a nightmare inside of a nightmare inside of a nightmare. It's Inception, you know, mm-hmm. but but it's the whole thing is her nightmare. But we open up on the POV of another character. So it makes that conceit a little tough to swallow in some ways. But in other ways, it's it's part of the... I guess you'd say the smart part of this film is that the way it opens up, and you know, I like the fact that her dreams are so intense that, like, she you know rips open her own nightgown with her fingernails. But what we really know is that that Freddie did that to her, and she woke up right before he could kill her. And I thought, well, now what a great place for the killer to be able to operate because. That, that's one of the conceits about these horror movies, right? Is that the killer always seems to be wherever he needs to be when he needs to be, right? Well, in a dream world, he really can be that. He can be everywhere. He can do all of these weird things with the sheep and then disappear and jump in behind her. And I thought that whole opening was really effective. Like, I've seen this movie a lot. I haven't seen it in several years. But I remember sitting and watching this, and I was kind of in a dark room by myself. And I, I actually jumped on that scare. I said, okay, that one's pretty good. That actually got a jump out of it.
0: I actually jumped this time too <laughs> but that, that's that's funny um, but I, I like it too and I really like the the idea of going with Tina's dream because it establishes that it it's all related to the dreams right I mean mm-hmm. Nancy has the same type of dream she has the same type of dream we find out that Johnny Depp's character has the same type of dream and even um, even Rod Rob. Rod yeah. has the same type yeah. of dream as well T- so, talk
1: yeah. about a fake porn star named Rod Lane I mean <laughs> and I feel bad for the actor I don't know his real name I apologize for that Nick Corey isn't even his real name like he was going by that at the time in Hollywood cuz it's how he could get work but nice. anyway it's, it's just funny to to hear him talk about it now and stuff but no it it's a it's a different universe to operate in and I The one thing I'll say is that they do introduce us to these characters and they get right to it. Like, there's no waste of time on really setting them up. They're they're friends. They're walking to school the next day and Tina's telling Nancy about her freaky dream. And later on that night, they'll realize they dreamed about the same guy. And then mm-hmm. Johnny Depp's like, yeah. And then you know Rod later after the the really loud sex Patina. Tina, um, <laughs> which I, I can only imagine the actors like behind the door like, let's see how stupid we can sound because it is so funny. Well, uh, and, and it's
0: just a weird, <laughs> you know, because he's looked at as kind of a. Gross guy, right at the beginning, they're walking. He comes yeah, out. Yeah, he's, he he's a jerk. On Tina, and yeah. she's like, "Oh, get away, gross, you!" And then she has a bone in him. <laughs> I know. It's like, yeah, it's like
1: no more fights here. No, I'm like, yeah, of course you would go for the bad guy. All of Johnny Depp's lines too, like morality sucks
0: or something like yeah, that, which mor- is morality sucks. Yeah, yeah, which is
1: hilarious. But you know, they, they're all there together. The one thing though is that I'll say is I'm glad I'm being grabbed by the story and what they're doing because one thing is very evident. Now I've never seen this in a theater, so I don't know if the theatrical experience would make it different. But the acting here and the dialogue and stuff is awful. It is bad. It is just as bad as anything in those Friday films. I put it as bad as some of that, you know, girl to girl talk in that first Halloween when they were walking around, you know, totally <laughs> and all that crap. It's 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 pretty bad. You got to admit, it's not really good.
0: Well, uh, you know, it doesn't bother me like Last House on the Left did. That was just pure garbage. Yeah. Um and maybe it's because we watched that, that this wasn't as offensive. <laughs> I think <laughs> yeah, maybe
1: there was a method to that madness. It, could, it could be, <laughs> um,
0: but I wasn't too, I mean, it's not great dialogue. Absolutely not. But it felt more real to me than that other garbage did. So it wasn't too bad.
1: I think the thing that gets me and you and I are saying the same things here is that these People, while their performances aren't great the story is intriguing me enough because if i'm just going with it trying to watch it and say well what is going on and how weird would that be to realize that you and two of your friends are having the same dreams about the same guy why is that happening it's never explained and so that's that's why it's so weird you know and it it lends to the excuse me it lends to that that theory again that you know this is all nancy's dream and nancy's nightmare and stuff like that but i don't know i liked it I, it's it doesn't take me out of it, but I did notice that they were bad performances. But again, yeah. I'm I'm going with it, and I'm intrigued enough that I don't I don't mind it. But I, I, it had to be pointed out, like I don't want us to go to this whole podcast and people to listen going like these people think these people act well because like they don't. Nah, they, you no, know, no, they're not. Yeah. <laughs> Johnny Depp gets a lot better in his career. So, but thank uh, God, right? <laughs> I guess i have never been a Depp fan, so I don't really you know yeah, he's, care. He's, he so. got a
0: little weird, but there's some good Depp movies out there. You know, a, a little weird. He's a lot weird, dude. The, the, Parts of the Caribbean stuff is is fun. That, and that first one is fun. That,
1: that first one is fine. That the rest of them, I would
0: argue, are absolutely. Well, the second one's but, terrible. The third so. one gets a little better. You know.
1: See, you're better. Um, you made it to the third one. I never did. So. I made it through all of them, man. Well, you know that that may be a retrospective in our future. The so. kids really liked it, so we sat I down think, and watched them all. I think that's the point. <laughs> it's well, that it's, it's definitely for them. So, um, yeah. I did enjoy the Pirates of the Caribbean ride though quite a bit. Uh, but at any rate, um, <laughs> it okay. back yeah, back to <laughs> back to Nightmare on All
0: Street. Yeah, um, let's talk about the uh, the sleepover. So we we have a oh, yes. the sleepover. They go out and they get all their sex on and. Everyone's friendly. well. What, the, Tina and Rod get their sex. Well, um, I, right, right. That's yeah. I mean.
1: Johnny Depp and Nancy. They're, Johnny Depp sleeps on the couch. Sucks. <laughs> yeah. So, no it, sex it, for them. Yeah, and Nancy just wears a long T-shirt. So, <laughs> right. um, at, but after, but we got to mention though the way that Rod gets there is he he sneaks up on him at the house and like he pulls a switchblade on Johnny Depp and all this and I'm like wow it's like a scene out of The Outsiders but not nearly as poignant. <laughs> you know, it's like I wouldn't do that for Johnny. No, I, it wouldn't yeah. be worth it. <laughs> yeah. But,
0: yeah. Um, anyway, so after the sex scene or whatever you want to call it, everyone's yeah the, yeah the, the scene that get...
1: was by the way they, it wasn't like that was filmed and they cut it and just went with the sound. They never even intended to show that because they had already figured out we we're gonna be lucky we get this thing past the rating. Well, well the... you
0: can't show that. They're all supposed to be underage. So exactly right. That would be a bad idea. Let's let's talk about the dream. Um, first and foremost, Jay, and I, I sent this to you in a text as as I was watching this. Uh, Tina is in her dream again, right? And all of a sudden, she's hearing a voice calling her name. So right. you hear a creepy voice calling your name, and what do you do, Jay? Of course, you go try to find it without 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 putting on any clothes. I might well, add. Well, no, you don't need <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. you are just looking for the creepy voice calling your name because. Logic. Hey, it's
1: the it's the eighties. It was more innocent time, man. That's all I can think. Like I, I had to put myself back in this mode, like who on earth would go outside if there was a weird noise? But you know what? If I hear a weird noise now, I jump up, I, I put pants on, and then I do go to the door to see what's going on. So I you know I don't hear any names calling me at night, thankfully. I might like chase after that. <laughs> but I I do think it's it's part of that, uh, and I think that's a, that's a dream sequence too. It's it's all part of the dreamscape. Is that in a dream you might do things that you wouldn't do in your regular life because oh, yeah. subconsciously your body knows you're in a dream or whatever. That's the creepy thing about Freddy, and the way he comes after her with the stretchy arms, and he you know he cuts his friggin' fingers off in front of her and all that stuff, which is a you know a creepy effect but a bad one nonetheless. <laughs> but but the but the intent is right is to to creep her out to the fact that there you know he is this unstoppable force chasing her in her dreams, and he is like screwing with her before he kills her he doesn't just want to stab her and gut her well, he's going this,
0: this is a yeah. trademark of Freddy Krueger as well yes, he, does he like is, to play with his food,
1: yes, he does he plays with her a long time before he kills her, and then my goodness, that kill, man, is is friggin' intense. I mean, and I know it's cut to heck and back because they had to cut so much of it with, you know, the MPAA and stuff like that. But it's still really effective, the way she's drug across the ceiling, even if that's ripped off out of Poltergeist and, and a few other things. I, I think it's great. And she ends up in a bloody heap on that bed. It's an evocative scene. I mean, it it got a reaction out of me, even this time, having seen it a few times. I was like, I did not remember it being that gory.
0: No, and, I, and neither did I. And I was like, wow, did Rob Zombie redirect this or something? Because <laughs> this is like Blood City. And even afterwards, when the, the cops are there picking up and you got the the just pools of blood dripping from the ceiling and yeah. everywhere, it was just, that was pretty darn gory of a kill scene for this it's series. A-
1: it's a butchering, but I I have to say it's that way because of when it came out 1984 and it was being shot in 83, but coming out in 84, the fourth Friday, the 13th film was going to be in theaters that year. And the gore stakes had been, you know, raised since then. Halloween had done parts one and two and two was much gorier than the first one. All the ripoff slashers in between my bloody Valentine, April fool's day, all of those things had come out and the gore had been the thing that made them separate themselves. And so many of those other series and, and, films don't have the stories to go with them. And that's why they didn't turn into big series and things like that. So Craven knew we, we got to have the gore here, but it's got to serve a point. And what he was able to do was put the mystery and suspense of Freddy Krueger in with all of the Tom Savini like gore effects, but without you know some of that touch, but some of that same ideas, we've got to have the blood to go with it because Otherwise, people won't be afraid of this guy unless you see what those finger knives can do. And it's Fleet was 20 minutes into it, and we see the damage those things can actually do.
0: Yeah, and it was pretty good. I mean, I like how it's—I don't want to say I like how it did, but (laughs) I I thought it was well done because he basically starts with the the four nail scratches and then just—it all— goes apart and of I mean, course yeah. rod is sitting there helpless he can't see what's attacking her he he's just looking around like what can i do can i try to do anything he gets shoved away by an invisible force and it basically has to sit there and watch his sex toy get destroyed
1: well his girlfriend you know nah, what, i don't what think it... they were actually boyfriend girlfriend but... <laughs> well his Conquest for the night. Then, if you want to go that way, or what, or whatever. His his girl for the moment. It's somebody he knows. He's had a relationship oh, yeah. with her, and they, you know, fairly he has to, recently. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> they've had relations recently. But he's. They, they, we are led to believe they have a relationship and have had one on and off. And so he sees this go down. And you know what? What I thought was interesting was how. Nancy and Glenn, Johnny Depp's character, you know, break into the room and like Depp's reaction is perfect. I mean, he just is like frozen in his tracks when he sees that and he just stops and like Nancy's just, you know, completely frozen from all of that. Gore there and what's missing is Rod. Rod has just hightailed it the hell out of there because he knows he is going to be suspect number one. And indeed, he is the only suspect that the cops and the adults in town seem to be interested in pursuing for this when it when it comes down to it. And. Uh, I mean, they've set him up for it from the beginning. He, you know, he messes around by uh, scaring Johnny Depp in the garden with that three-pronged gardening tool. And then he's got the switchblade and all this stuff. And even if you, you know, you think logically there's no way a guy with one knife could do that to somebody. But he's the most obvious suspect,
0: too. And they even call that out, I think, in the station with the cops. There were four knives, like, perfectly aligned here. Uh, I don't know how one switchblade can cause it, right? They, right. they call that out later. But, yeah, he's on the run. I mean, I think it's partially because he knows he's going to get the, the blame for this, but also because he's scared to death.
1: He just oh, saw, yeah. He
0: just saw his, this girl get just mutilated in front of him. He's probably thinking he's next.
1: And by something he can't see. That's the other right. thing. At no time does he know. Even though like we see Tina wrestling under the covers with Freddie, he doesn't see Freddie. Because presumably it's not his nightmare. It's, it, in fact, it's Nancy's nightmare for Tina. But if we're to believe it, it is happening in the real world, it's Tina's nightmare coming true. And it's, it's very strange and, and it's off putting and it, it puts him out. And, uh, you know, Rod is the key suspect. And, you know, I'll, I, I do have to laugh at, you know, John Saxon and Ronnie Blakely are the adult here who played Nancy's parents or whatever. And Ronnie Blakely, I think, won an Oscar earlier in her career. Saxon's been a guy that I've seen in a lot of movies. He, he was in, like, Bruce Lee films and stuff. I'm sure you've seen him play cops and oh, yeah. other things here and there. He's, he's a good character actor to know. I love that the way they play against each other, because oftentimes when you've got parents that are separated from one another, like, they overplay the tension between them about that, and they really don't here. I'll give them both credit for keeping that really subtle and that you realize that there's there's a lot of reasons they're not together anymore. And as we'll learn, one of which is the fact that they conspired to murder someone and cover it up.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, I didn't, yeah, I got the feeling that their uh, their divorce was more, um, not out of no love anymore type situation. There was more emotional scarring. type. Right.
1: Things. Like they had, they had, there was just something that had screwed up along the way for them. And that's, Indeed what it was I
0: think a lot of it Might have to do It's your typical cop Relationship right Your cop Right And then the the wife Always at home Cop's always on duty Type thing I think that had a lot To do with it too
1: That too I mean she's an alcoholic And all this stuff But this Mm -hmm. is the other thing About Nightmare as a series That makes it different the parents are a part of the story they are involved in it and that's a knock on a lot of these slasher films right is where the heck are all the parents in halloween they just didn't have any budget for the you know the cast so that they weren't there <laughs> in friday, were the were <laughs> yeah, friday the 13th yeah in friday the 13th they're all at camp so that's how you get away with you know no parents they do introduce a parent or two here and there but they're really largely not a part of the story going forward At nightmare on elm street the parents of springwood are part of the story here. They're, they are part party. of everything. Yeah, and I, you know what? I I say that's one of the things that makes this series differentiate from its counterparts, is the fact that parents are an integral part of the story. I don't think you could tell this without them. Yeah, I don't think it would have been enough if like the older siblings of Nancy and Glenn and all that had banded together and killed Freddy, because then he would just come back and kill them. Freddy specifically is here to kill the children of the parents who killed him
0: yeah and i think that's the interesting twist right i mean Mm -hmm. he's a child murderer for one and when we finally reveal this it's he was killing the children of these families you know so these parents weren't kids at the time that they killed him right they were adults and some of them had children who were being killed by freddy krueger and they all banded together
1: and that's a deleted scene in that part where Mom is telling Nancy in the you know the boiler room of their house when she, where she's got Freddie's glove. How they killed him. She tells Nancy, "You weren't always an only child." So that like you know that her and Glenn and and uh, Tina all had older siblings who were killed by Freddie at some point. And that that and they cut that and I've always, you know, when I found out that existed, I thought that should have stayed because that that makes it even that much more impactful. More personal, that, too. Exactly. It's these parents lost children in this and you lost siblings because of this. I you know, I would I would have left that in, but they they don't have that in there. But you know what? Even so, I think you could almost infer that just from watching this that these people had lost children as a part of this else why would they have gotten involved like it's one thing to like be activists and be you know really upset about something going on in your community but unless it happens to you i just i would have had a hard time buying that these parents decided on behalf of all these other parents that have lost children i'm gonna go murder someone i think it's i think it's more important that they had to lose something in the game too and that's the other thing too the parents here you know tina's parents are divorced nancy's parents are pretty much divorced glenn's parents are jerks you know, and Rod doesn't have any parents that we know of. So, I mean, you see the damage that it's done to these families over the years because we don't, I don't think we get a firm timeline as to when that happened, but it had to have happened, you know, a good time ago for none of these kids to remember another sibling. So at least yeah. 10, 15 years, you know? Yeah. So in that amount of time, these people's lives have been destroyed by that action. And I, I don't I like the fact that there were consequences to that, and we're seeing the, effects of this consequences playing
0: out absolutely and we talk about uh you know as we mentioned here nancy's dad is the lead cop on this story yeah and uh the mom once she finds out you know basically nancy keeps telling things about what what uh the dreams are about and and mentioning little tidbits about the killer and the dreams and she knows right away what's going on she puts bars on the on all the windows and doors oh oh um, I mean, yeah yes yeah,
1: yeah she goes nuts at the uh, the uh, home security store or whatever as <laughs> if so yeah. that's going to help well i mean I, I i remember watching this going like well that would be real good if the purge was coming but i don't know, you know <laughs> if it's going to help you any against freddie but uh, exactly. Yeah. exactly but no but i but i like you know she's doing everything she can the only thing she can do to control her own emotions is drink you know, so she's pretty well half-sauced the whole time, right? That's what we're yeah, led yeah, to and believe. I think that's
0: just to numb things, not to yeah. control her own emotions because she's not controlling them very well. No, she's that's just that's, trying to forget. Our yeah, numbers. that's what I'm
1: saying. She she is just trying to sort of coast through life until some point that she can never see the end of. That's what she thinks. And even so, like she tries to be an authority figure in in her daughter's life, but Nancy is pretty much. Kind of on her own. I mean, the day after her friend gets butchered, she goes to friggin' school. You know, and like both yeah. of her parents are like, why are you at school? And yeah, Nancy's yeah. like, no, I want, I want to be there. And I'm, and they give into that. And I'm like, I, you know, my parents, if something like that had happened and I had been witness to it, it wouldn't have mattered if I'd wanted to go to school or if I had a test or not. I'd have been, no, they would have not let me out of the house. Yeah. But the fact that her mom can't stop her leads me to believe that this has been a long time that Nancy's kind of grown herself up in a lot of ways. She she parents herself in a lot of ways.
0: True, but I want to say, as a person who went through a trauma-like situation similar to this, uh, the the one thing you you want is to go back to real life as I can soon see that. as yeah. possible. Because it takes your mind off of it. True. So I can understand Nancy wanting to go to school. I wouldn't want to sit there cooped up in a house all day, uh, you know, just sitting there thinking about this the whole time I would rather have the distraction now her problem is she hasn't slept in X days and and that's not going to help when you're sitting in a school situation but yes I understand right, and, and- the- and wand. listening
1: to, to Hamlet or, or whatever. You know, in, in the, the I, I do love though how things change and you realize she's fallen asleep in class and is in a dream. <laughs> when the story the, changes, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, like the, the guy that's up there reading in front of class, like it becomes like sepia tones behind him or something, and he starts with breaking this weird voice—it's almost like Cobra Commander walked in and started lecturing or something. But oh, he
0: changes the story into yeah, yeah.
1: yeah he starts reading some weird stuff, and this—you know—you you texted me the the great uh, moment with the uh, hall monitor in the uh, in the <laughs> hall. There, screw your pass. You yeah, know, that was part of her dream, right? <laughs> yes, it was. But I love that though. It was it was great because you, you, she hears something in the hallway and she sees a body bag of Tina dragging itself along the hall. I'm like, how yeah. freaky is that, man?
0: gross yeah
1: yeah it was
0: yeah it doesn't realize she's in a dream yet she's chasing tina all over the place trying to figure out what's going on oh yeah the hall monitors there screw your hall pass great line Well,
1: but the hall monitor is just Freddy screwing with her. This the other thing is not not only is can Freddy you know morph his own shape, but he can just be other people too in the dream. And I thought, well, you know what, that makes total sense for a dream demon. I mean, I I like that though that they they gave him that power, and they can't show all this you know mass morphing and stuff because they they don't have the budget for it. But holy cow, did did they not do a great job of working that in with that hall pass? And what
0: I like about it is that they give you a hint that it's him by. Having something that you would recognize, like the green and red colors, or yeah, or, the sweater, or, yeah, yep, exactly anything yeah. that so you know by looking at it, oh, that's Freddie. It's you know.
1: It's a conceit that, you know, it, Stephen King's it borrows with Mm -hmm. its main villain too. And that they, they showed up in that TV movie of it doing, but it's all through the book too, is that it could be all these things. And I, you know, I, I don't, you know, Stephen King wrote that over a number of years and I'm certain he and Craven weren't trading notes, but it's neat that they both kind of have the same idea for their, uh, villain in, in the story there because they're, they're shapeshifters. And, uh, uh, I, I like, I like the thing. And I love though that this is, Freddy is going to kill her. Now, because he's got her asleep. And I mean, he's got her in the boiler room and Nancy has the brilliant idea of, I'm going to burn my arm so it'll wake me up. She has to mm-hmm. do something to wake herself up. And I just, I made a little note to myself. I said, if she doesn't do that right there, does Freddie kill her? And then she just burst into blood in the middle of her class. Talk about traumatizing oh, yeah, a whole town. Mm-hmm. That would have been nuts. And it, not like <laughs> it's bad enough. She wakes up screaming with the teacher in her face going, what's wrong? And she's got a burnt arm now.
0: Yeah, and then of course the teacher says you're going to need a hall pass.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, of course. Yeah, I mean and she's it's, leaving. We, we have to pay off that line once again. So you uh, don't see. need a hall pass for this
0: podcast, folks. No, so, no, no hall pass. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, yeah. No, so, so yeah. So she's gone, and she what does she want to do? She wants to go make sure that that Rod's okay, right? Right. So she goes make sure goes he, to
1: see him in jail. Good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. So she's she's want to go see him in jail, and I love how Rod spills it all out for her, and she can't believe it even though she's experienced this herself she's still having a hard time wreck reconciling all of this in her own head right
0: mm-hmm. yeah and understandably so i mean it's pretty gruesome and pretty mm-hmm. wild and y- you know the last person with her was rod so you know you got to reconcile everything in your head
1: she's actively dismissing what she just went through as it's just because of all this that's happened to me that I'm having these weird dreams. Now that's why she goes to see rod. Mm-hmm. And then when he lays it on her, it makes her stop
0: and go, wait a minute, what's happening here. And she's still so confused. And rightly so. Right. I mean, cause for her, this guy's just been chasing her around to kill her with his knives to rod. This guy has supernatural powers where he can, you know, be dis, you know, Invisible and drag someone around a ceiling and everywhere which way he wants and have his way with them.
1: Exactly, Rod's seen the damage he can do. Nancy's mm-hmm. just dreamed about him and knows that she's having the same dreams her friend had before yeah. she was killed, and she realizes this guy is after me. He's after all of us. And then, you know, Nancy and Glenn go on this little quest to try to learn the truth, to try to figure out what happened. Mm-hmm. And that's when we learn Glenn's been having the dreams too, and they they can't get anywhere. No one will listen to them. And I think that's that's a common horror trope. But in this case, the, the twist of it is that the parents actually know what the problem is. Like, they have no reason not to believe this. They just don't want to admit it. They, and, and they can't believe that there's no way he's back from the dead. He, you know, we That's killed the
0: part him. right there. I mean, yeah, they, but, uh, they, they know yeah. about Freddy Krueger, but they think that they're just making stuff up.
1: Right, but they're wondering where do these people, how do these kids know who that is? Because not only, like, do you not only get the sense that there were this group of people that killed him and that one of the cops in town was in on it, so that's how they were able to get away with it, but it's like they've erased him from existence in town. They can't find out anything about him anywhere. Because nobody's saying anything. It's like it's in another Stephen King kind of turn. It's like the whole town decided best left not discussed ever again. Mm -hmm. And it's that dark secret they won't talk about. And I like that, though. I I think our adult actors here, Ronnie Blakely and John Saxon, do sell us on that, even though it's a little cheesy the way that they do it. I, I like the fact that it's a little cheesy and it's a little melodramatic because they have to be going, how in the age did that come back up to bite us? We thought we had burned
0: and buried that. You know, years ago, right? Yeah, and, and and well, and they're I think trying to come to terms with it too. Like, how can this, like you said, how can this even happen? How is it possible that my kids are knowing about this child murder that we took care of? I thought we right. buried that, right? And and it makes sense that they would hide the history from the town because of what they did. Yeah. i know
1: i mean and look at how nancy and glenn try to do this nancy tells glenn you stay awake and if i look like i'm freaking out you wake me up and she lays down to try to sleep because she's going to try to find out a little bit more about freddie in the dream world because they're getting nowhere in the real world and frigging glenn goes to sleep anyway and, well, yeah, but, they're you all know, tired. and yeah and i love how nancy just you shit how dare you go to sleep on me (laughs) and I just out thought I mean poor John poor Glenn he can't get a break with this girl at all you know there's no way you know he he could have done anything right in that moment and she should have known he was asleep too because she's like are you still there and he like pops out from behind the bush in the dream I thought that was great exactly yeah it's it's hilarious hilarious. oh yeah I'm right here (laughs) <laughs> well, I was like, well, what does she do? Does she bring him into the dream, you know, like, right. like the dream rules, are something we do need to pay attention to because they're gonna. It's not gonna be the last time we have to discuss that oh, yeah. in one of these podcasts. I do remember that distinctly, but no, they they can't get anywhere with that. So they decide we we gotta go and and see Rod at the jail again. So they go down there to see him again, and little known to them, Freddie is there invisible. And he makes the sheet tie around and, the, and Rod hangs himself, basically. Which I thought was, a, you know, even for as cheesy as it is, was a really effective looking effect and, and pretty ferocious.
0: Well, and, and, you know, it gets the cops kind off of off of the trail, right? Because they think he killed the girl, right? And he killed himself, right. And so he killed himself because of the guilt. So now they don't need to look for anything else. So it's a, it's a brilliant way for Freddy Krueger to take out Rod. Because now it, it looks like he felt guilty and did it.
1: Yeah, and I, I and I used to sit around and wonder like why would Freddy you know, make it look like suicide. Why does he care? It's not that the cops can come after him. I'm like, no, wait a minute. This is perfect because then they won't pay attention to anything else that's going on. They're, they're not going to listen to these kids. Now, right? yeah. Exactly. He can just go back to doing what he wants. And I love that. It, that it's by the way, at a very awkward funeral scene where the minister is talking about living and dying by the sword and all and all of that would be true, but probably wrong time and place to be having that discussion in front of people at the graveside service with Rod's <laughs> parents and you know everybody there. Which I assume those people with the the guy with the dark Elvis hair was Rod's dad or something. I, we don't know, nice. but good question. Yeah, Probably, I mean, kind of, it would make sense. It would, right? But you know, <laughs> you've got his his few friends there, or whatever the cops there, and I love how Nancy is the one that says, "Dad, Fred Krueger's the one that did this," and he and Ronnie Blakely get that look again, like, "Holy cow!" And I love her line is. He's like keep her at home for a few days, and she's like better than that. I'm gonna go get her some help. And who knew good old Springwood, Ohio here has a sleep clinic.
0: Everyone does, right?
1: Yeah, right. I guess well nowadays, yeah. But (laughs) 1980s, okay. So you know, I I have done the sleep study thing a couple of times. I don't mind saying it's a very weird place. They hook up a lot more crap to you than that, but it's it's about the same. It's a lot of people standing around watching you sleep, and you're laying there trying to rest while you're hooked up to a lot of machines it's it's an awkward place to try to rest but i i do like the fact that mom again is being active and we get this this moment where we watch her start dreaming now i don't know i don't know a lot about the science of dream studies and all that kind of stuff i assume all of this is just you know crap and mumbo jumbo like yeah she would be reading a six if it was a nightmare now you know or whatever and the machine starts freaking out but the the part of the scene that I love is the fact that we don't even know what's happening to her. We don't know what she's dreaming, what she's nightmaring about. We just see the effects of it on this side of the fence. And I think that's mm-hmm. cool that they didn't shoot something and flash just back and forth. I think nowadays it would cut back and forth.
0: More than likely, yes. And I agree. I think it was brilliant that they didn't do that because the whole point of the scene is the sleep doctor being baffled at what's going on and trying to figure out what's going on because he'd never seen anything like it. And I think that yeah. was the point of that scene.
1: Exactly, right? But at the end of it is she comes back with a prop. She's got Freddy's dirty little brown hat, his fedora. She brought it out of her dream. And she's got that one white streak in her hair. So she's kind of gone X-Men rogue, you know, with, with that. Mm-hmm. And that that's the effect of the dream. And I thought, holy cow, did that... I mean the looks on all the adults faces when she pulls that hat up are great cuz they're like where did you get that and i thought yeah i'd be like i'm putting in for transfer you know <laughs> this this clinic is no we're bringing stuff out of the dreams now like that's no we that's like leprechaun 3 level crazy now like that that's nuts
0: Nothing's Leprechaun 3-level crazy, buddy. But <laughs> um, I think it's interesting because they, don't, they think she brought it in, right? The, the sleep doctors think she brought it in. Well, yeah,
1: I was like, stuck it where? She was in a gown when you mm, saw her. Right, right. I'll <laughs> so... just
0: confiscate that and get that in here. You know? but, exactly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was an interesting piece, and I think this is where Mom finally realizes something to what her daughter's been saying. She's not just a nut.
1: Right. Yeah. There's something else going on here. And and that's what leads her to the truth. I mean, her and Nancy have a fight, you know, and have had one before. And she says, come on, I'll show you something. She takes her downstairs and then we get the whole, you know, he's dead because mommy killed him. And I thought, what a what a great line. And what a freaky line, too, because. Nancy and I'll, you know, Heather Langenkamp, a lot of people like to bang on her acting and stuff like that. I actually think she's not that bad in this. And I, and particularly this scene, I think she plays it perfect because she, she's getting confirmation for everything she's already figured out at this point, but it's so much worse than what she could have imagined. She had no idea and she's looking at him like, what? You did what to this guy? And that's why he's trying to kill me now. And I, I don't, I thought that was fantastic and is a great reveal and it's a surprise too because it's the beginning of the third act it's not the end we spring the big surprise the big twist is here and then you get the rest of the film with that knowledge in your in your back pocket
0: yeah what I really liked about the scene too is that she kept the knives like she kept his glove yeah why would you do out. that well I <laughs> guess weird. you wanted a souvenir <laughs> But good question. Um, and if he burned in the thing, how did that survive? Uh, yeah, I'm um, like, that
1: means you you guys went in there and got the body out. Well, they had to. They had to well, go hide it, right? Yeah, I mean, well, not that's... only that,
0: they wanted to make sure it was dead. Right, say. right. I mean, this uh, yeah, it was a nightmare to them too.
1: True, true. A, and, a, and a living line. nightmare. Yeah. Exactly. So, but, I mean, that does layer so much with the parents. You're like, there's a good prequel to be made just about the parents and what they went through. You know what? And, th- and that's and a
0: good th- thing. I, w- I wish mm-hmm. they would do that prequel. That I wish they had. Interesting. That
1: the only time they've come near it, Brian, Is, is the new one. A- and Well, no, actually, it's not even that. Freddie had a TV show called Freddie's Nightmares. <laughs> it was out around the same time as the Friday the 13th TV series. I don't know if you've ever seen this thing. No. It's on the El Rey network from time to time. I know you and I are both Sling TV guys, so you can see it there. If you ever want to watch any of it, you can. There's one episode... Probably done in a sweeps thing where they like did the backstory of it, but they did it on a budget of like five thousand dollars. So you you don't see. I'm like it doesn't help. It doesn't tell you anything. I'm with you. That would have been a film I thought at some point they would get to, and I really thought the remake would do. They don't. They don't really do that. to Spoil that ahead of they time. They do a they,
0: little bit. I mean, a little better yeah. than these films do in the in the remake. Yeah, I, I thought at least they give you a, more of a backstory anyway.
1: They do. They go into more of it, at, at, but I'm with you. It this is the kind of thing that I'm like, I don't want you to tell me that now, but that would be neat if it, one of these sequels we got some of that, you know, mm-hmm. because that that's the kind of backstory that's like, holy cow, that's interesting. Like, for all the stuff that, that could be said about Rob Zombie's take on Halloween and all that stuff, in large part, there's so much of that that like unravels the mystique of the Michael Myers character that it's all it it kind of ruins it in some ways not not totally ruins it but it takes away some of the mystery you know I, i'm always worried when we get too much backstory like that it's going to be bad but in this case i think it would actually help a ton and would be compelling to see what drove those parents to this point well, we know what drove them to it just to watch them go through it the drama of it mm-hmm. would It'd be, be a good, good entertainment film. It could be, yeah, but we don 't get that instead, we get Nancy and Glenn talking about the Balinese uh way of dreaming, where they they <laughs> basically just <laughs> they basically decide i 'm just going to be a total b a in my dreams, or if it 's so bad, you know, what if I create a monster? Well, they just turn their back on it, and i 'm like, I had never caught the line that Glenn basically gives her the way out at the end of the film in that line. I'd never realized oh, really? that that 's where that comes from. yeah, I had missed that all these years. That's I knew exactly. they talked about like all the ramboing up stuff. And like she, you know, she gets into survival and all that crap, but I did not realize he gave her that little line, but I'm like, man, that's, that's a great little drop. They just kind of dropped that in there in that little park. And then here we go.
0: I tell you what I thought when I first saw it and I caught that line right away. And I said, that would be the lamest thing ever.
1: <laughs> only to realize 15 minutes later we'll you're going there. to see exactly that. <laughs> yeah.
0: So, yeah, well but
1: before we get to that, we do get what is undoubtedly one of the most visually memorable scenes of this film and that's Glenn's death. You know, Nancy's going to go to sleep. She's like, whatever you do, do not go to sleep. She can't get him back on the phone because his parents are jerks and all this stuff. And, well, actually, you know, they don't want people calling their house at midnight. I, I, I'm getting old enough now where I can side with that. But in this case, I'm like, no, they're made to be jerks. So they're and they, jerks.
0: And they, they believe she's nuts, right? They yes, and not. they do
1: talk, they do talk crap about her, even though they were in on this too. So, you know, they 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 know what's up. That's the thing is you watch this having known now what Ronnie Blakely has said, you realize Glenn's parents know what's up too. They were probably there holding a the pitchfork. You know, like they they know, you know, wow. they're all they're Drawing just trying the to Exactly. Yeah, they're just trying to be, you know, upstanding Republican uh Reagan <laughs> parents at the time or whatever. And so they're they're sitting over there drinking their beer and coffee. And meanwhile, Glenn is doing something that I thought no one in the real world did until I started paying attention to my teenage brother who would go to sleep watching television, but with his headphones on <laughs> all oh, yeah. the time. Yeah. I see and that. I, yeah. And I'm like, I did that too. When I was in high school, I, it's, I don't know. It's a thing, but the well, you way play your
0: music back then, I mean, there was no other way to do right. it. You're right. yeah. pissed if you had the music on. So you always put the headphones on. That's exactly. And
1: I, I love how he gets sucked into the bed and everything goes in with him. And then what comes out is a geyser of just gore and blood, like right out of the elevator scene in The Shining.
0: No. And of course, mom comes in and and is horrified at the sight. To me, I didn't like this kill. I thought it was kind of (laughs) stupid. It wasn't my thing. I didn't like that. He got sucked into the bed the way he did and, and all that. To me, it was just kind of, a lame
1: one. I like the fact that it it happened, and we don't see what happens to him. Like the thing I've always wondered, and what I'm told is that it's supposed to be more than just Glenn's blood getting splattered on the walls or whatever. Well, it, that's it have what have to be because that's a lot. That's about. what that's what Craven says, you know. And that apparently that's what he used to get it by the MPAA. I don't, whatever. the The point is, is that I remember seeing that and going what could cause that? Like, the only thing at that point that I had seen that did anything close to that was Jaws. When the shark kills the little boy at the beach, there's, like, this huge geyser of blood that shoots out of nowhere, and, and then it's gone. That's blood and you water. Know. Right, yeah, yeah but that's, that's what I'm saying. That's blood and water. This is like, we, we took Mr. Kool-Aid and just turned him upside down on everybody. <laughs> I mean, that's what I thought at the time. I was blown away by just how incredible the scene was without being overly gory. I mean, that much blood is gory, don't get me wrong, but mm-hmm. we don't see, like, parts coming with it. There's not brain matter in there with it. There's not... We don't get every bone crunch that happened with it, like Rob Zombie would give you, for for an example. It just happens, but and it's so be more
0: realistic, and it wouldn't be that much of a geyser.
1: Well, see, here's the thing, though, and this is what I have to keep reminding myself, but in a dream, and it particularly be, yeah, in a, in a nightmare, it can be anything, and what we are watching is a nightmare. And I thought, you know, that is a nightmarish scene. I get it. I I buy it now. And I thought it was effective. The kill that I think is incredibly lame is the mom's death. Can we talk about what happens there? Because Nancy chases around with Freddy and sets him on fire. And so the stuntman does, does double-time work going up and down the stairs on fire, by the way. That was great work by him. But eventually he winds up on mom's bed, smoking with her, and then, like, it becomes... Like, the t- talking about old rides at Disney, like the old Haunted Mansion or something, man. She, like, you know, the blue lights and the little arm, and I'm like, what What happened here? I don't
0: get it. Yeah, I didn't quite get it either, to be honest with you. Uh, it was an interesting—I you know, like the whole Burning Freddy thing because that throws us back to what happened to him, right? He yeah, he even sick.
1: says like no when she lights him on fire, and I thought, right. wait a minute, you're an indestructible dream demon, but I thought, but even for you, this but has he to has be a fear too. On yeah, right.
0: He died from fire, and exactly. I like that um, her death comes at the hands of a burning Freddy because she's the one who helped put him on fire in the first place. But right. Yeah, you was, can, you kind
1: of get the sense that Marge was the one that maybe threw the first Molotov cocktail. Or
0: even if she wasn't, I mean, just it's, it's symbolic that here's a burning Freddie that you killed by fire coming to kill you now. And I, I actually exactly. liked that piece, but the rest of it was definitely bizarre.
1: Well, I mean, it looks bad. That's the thing; is it's just so cheesy that it oh, just yeah. doesn't. It just doesn't work. I mean, it look it just looks bad, and I imagine it was. This is all we got. This <laughs> is we're going to go with <laughs> I it. We got ten so just, bucks. Let's just get. This yeah, out. let's. Yeah, really. I mean, it, it's you and I could recreate this effect now <laughs> for about about forty dollars probably, but. It works enough, but here's the thing too, and this again leads leads me to be on the side of Wes Craven, which I don't really want to be in this film, but that all of this is a dream because dad witnesses this with her. The other detective comes upstairs and like, you know, i put the fire out downstairs and dad and the other cop just sort of about face and leave the room. And Nancy's like, I'm just going to stand here and and deal with this now. And I'm like, well, that's why this is a dream. Because you dismiss the characters you don't want in there. Because they don't have anything to do. Like, he has nothing to say about that. Like... Well, that wasn't how I saw it going down, Nancy sorry, so, I't mean, do know I just thought it was funny. I was like i, I guess they're just done now like they, they but the way they leave the scene is so it's so funny. I'm like Wes Craven clearly was not paying attention to anything on set except Heather Langageev at that point. else he would have been like, "Hey, maybe do that a little less ironic, guys because the way you walk out of the room's a little abrupt so i I don't know, it's funny to me, but we do get the end though. That Nancy realizes she has brought Freddie back into the real world. We didn't even talk about that, but in the dream, that's how all of this starts Is she, quote, brings him into the real world. That's how she's able to set him on fire in her own house. Right. And that's, but that, of course, is how he gets her mom. But then he gets that great scene where he comes up out of the bed and, like, splits it open from the sheets and stuff and is talking trash. He's going to kill her and all this. And then she does the Balinese dream thing, which you said a few minutes ago, you thought if he, that happens, that's going to be really lame.
0: And it was. Yes, it was. Uh, and she touched telling him, oh, you're not real. Uh, you don't scare me. And then just turns around and he jumps at her and just kind of twinkles away.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, that is, that is, talk about running out of money for the effects. Uh, well, it's I, like,
0: and to me, it's like, oh, if you're going to bring him back in the real world, that's not really believable to have him just vanish like that. Mm-hmm. You brought him corporeal, and now he's just, whoop, nothing.
1: Ah, uh, but see, what we realize is what happens the next morning. She wakes up, and everything's fine. Now, here's the thing. The ending that we have with the Freddy top on the convert on the car and the mom getting the mom mannequin getting dragged through that little window in the in the door and stuff, the producer, Bob Shea, is the one that said, You gotta put a stinger at the end of it. We gotta have that Friday the thirteenth last jump. We we gotta have that. And Craven fought him on it. And he eventually just made him do it and he did it. But what Wes Craven wanted to happen was she walks out that morning, her and her mom have that same conversation about, Yeah, I feel great, everything's great, and she just drops off with her friends and everything's fine. And what you realize is that it was all just a nightmare. But what we're left with is that she's still inside of a nightmare, inside of another nightmare, inside of another nightmare. That's Mm -hmm. the the Mm -hmm. twist ending. Uh, I'll say this. I like Craven's intention with that, is that everything is happy at the end or whatever. But I think the studio was right that, no, it needs to still be in a nightmare. That would be horrific and scary to leave us in the theater going she's still in the nightmare like that that's michael is no longer on the ground after we shot him kind of moment
0: yeah and and you know it leaves you going okay we're ready for act two right i mean obviously freddy's not dead by some lame ass turning your back on him (laughs) (laughs) um but you know she thinks that everyone's back and everything's fine and yeah, not so much, and that that's the end of the movie, and it leaves you going, okay, well, they've set this up for a good sequel, so let's bring it on.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. I mean, the idea is that if you're going to have a sequel, and, and there's going to be one, let's see what we can do with it. And I thought it was smart. I, I do agree. I think it was a very smart way to end it, even if it was against the initial intentions or original intentions of the director and writer. I think the producer in this case is right. that You yeah. know, you got to leave something. They weren't even thinking sequels at this point. They just thought, let's leave it on a stinger because that leaves people possibly wanting more. So if this does work, then we've got somewhere to go. You know, and Absolutely, that, yeah. yeah, that's that's the idea. It's but again, they weren't even thinking sequels at that point. They were just trying to figure out how can we leave people stunned in the theater? If you leave them happy and leave it to beaver at the end, that's going to suck. And you know what? Bob Shea was
0: right. Well, that, that, I don't that know that sucked. it would necessarily suck. But the way that Freddy Krueger was killed and you have it end like that, that would have sucked.
1: Yes, that's what I mean. Is like that is not satisfying. No. What we we got, I think, is.
0: Yeah, it definitely made up for the stupidity of the ball holly and whatever the f that was. <laughs> uh but um yeah, I think It's a least- bad
1: finish. We, we can admit like that's a botched finish. Like that did, you, you're in our wrestling phase. Like that that's we we didn't land that last one. That last F5 lacked a little bit there. That that didn't work.
0: <laughs> you missed him completely. Yeah. So, <laughs> um I I was happy that it was that way and that's how it ended because now it's it, it, it leaves me ready to watch number 2. and 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 that's kind of sad
1: and i hate to tell you that (laughs) there's very little of this you're going to get back in part two but there's some but you know what that's a whole other discussion on another day we're at the point of the podcast where it's time to give final thoughts recommendations popcorn ratings brian what are yours for a nightmare on elm
0: street i gotta give it a large popcorn yeah dialogue is pretty lame but the story is fun uh, for a horror film, I think it does a good job, uh, effectively spooking you at times and making you laugh at other times, which I think is always good in a horror film. You don't want to be scared the whole time. Um, and I just think it was, I think it's a, a good story and a good movie. And it, I think it stands the test of time. Now we'll see as we get deeper into the series, that may not always be the case, but for this first one, I really like it and I would recommend it.
1: You know, I'm with you. There's a there's enough here that works still, you know, thirty plus years later that having not watched it in a long time, watching it again, I realize, man, this this really this movie really does work. It's the best idea Wes Craven ever had hands down. I've seen almost everything else he's ever done and scream is not his. That's Kevin Williamson's baby. He just directed it and he's a competent enough director to have not screwed up that first one. But the, this film as something he created from a nightmare he had basically, and reading some news stories about people dying in their sleep and stuff, I think really works and is incredibly effective. And yes, the acting is cheesy and no, all the effects don't work, but enough of them do that. I think it by far makes up for it. And even though the ending is a little bit of a miss on the landing, the overall performance is enough for me to go large popcorn really strong out of the gate but the thing that i'm going to say pushes it over to the extra large popcorn for me brian are the things that are not told that i can have discussions about like what made the parents go to this point to to kill this guy and what was their story and is she still locked in the nightmare? What's still happening? All of that, to me, makes this go one level up. So I'm going to go extra large popcorn on it. And I'll say, even if you're not a big fan of horror movies, if you go back and watch this one, there's something to enjoy in it and, and get from it. I think there's enough here that it still works on a, on a lot of levels. So I'm going to go extra large on it. Very good. All right, so we have just started our Nightmare on Elm Street series. Of course, as you already know, we're running the uh, Friday the 13th series alongside of this. We're going to go in order of all the films except for Freddy vs. Jason. We're kind of pulling that one out of the order to end up on that one. At the very end, we'll bring Ron and Brian together with me to talk about that one. Can't wait. Of course, you can find new episodes every week on our website, continuousplaypodcast.com slash movies. Join us on Facebook. Join our Facebook group. That's where you'll get all the notifications. Follow us on Twitter, either individually or the show's Twitter account, and you'll always get updates about the show and when it's coming out. Subscribe to us on iTunes. It'll, automatically update into your feed every week when we release these things they're coming out two a week now folks so we hope you're enjoying the series and if you really like it leave us a good review on itunes it helps other people find the show and tell other people about it we do appreciate your support i know it feels like nowadays i don't know if you feel this way brian but i feel like every podcast i love nowadays is running like a kickstarter or a patreon and all that kind of stuff and that's all well and good but we do this totally for free for you guys because we like to and for fun and we like talking about movies we hope you like talking about them as well so again join us on facebook join the Fabius factor film uh, podcast group that's where we do a lot of our discussions on these episodes in the group we do appreciate your support and just for taking time to listen and join in with us we have a lot of fun doing this show and we hope you enjoy it as well until next time for brian i'm jay thanks for listening to film strip Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, continuousplaypodcast.com forward slash movies. Please leave us a positive review on iTunes and link up with us on Facebook. The Filmstrip theme
0: music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121.